Welcome to Walk with the Wise, along with First Presbyterian Church of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where you'll find a joyful community on our way to becoming mature human beings that go back out to love our crazy world. I'm Pastor Dan Snyder, and I'm here, as always, with Andy Kendig. Hi, Andy. Hi, Dan. And hello to everyone out there. We are so glad that you found us, however you found us. And we just want to remind you to subscribe so that you get the new episodes of Walk with the Wise when they come out. Make sure you're sharing our podcast, sharing these uh, wonderful wise stories and people that we are bringing into our podcast. And as you're joining us now, we are in the third episode of our four-part season of Advent mini-season. It's a lot of words all all together there. A lot of words. <laughs> a lot of words. But that's what it is. We have a we're focusing on the season of Advent and Dan we yet again have a wonderful guest joining us today. Yes, we do. Uh, this our guest today has um worn several different hats and titles at uh Lancaster Theological Seminary and uh I'm not quite sure how exactly which one I'm going to introduce him as. So Dr. Greg Carey, who I believe is Assistant Academic Dean. Acting Assistant. I can't even say Acting Associate Dean. Acting Associate (laughs) Dean. See? That's what I mean? Lots of words. And I experienced (laughs) him as Professor of New Testament. Is that what you were when... That's my real job. That's your real job. And then you moonlight as the Acting Associate Dean. There we got it. Right. So, uh, so uh, Greg, welcome, and thanks for saying yes and joining us uh, today on this little uh, mini-series that we're doing. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Andy, as well. This is a joy. Excited to be here. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So, um, we're, you know, this little season of Advent that we're in, that we repeat every year, we have, uh, we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, helping, uh, helping everybody understand that uh Advent isn't the birth of Jesus and Silent Night and all of that. It comes at the end, so uh, a lot of our listeners already know that. And uh, we're fortunate to have uh, with with uh, Dr. Kerr here today an author of a book that is sort of, the, you know, the theme of Advent kind of weaves into your specialty in that book, and that's the big word eschatology, right? It's a word we... Uh, we throw around as pastors and theologians that make everybody go, you know, feel like we're on the inside. But uh, t- what, what's the title of this book again? Sure. Um, Death, Death, The End of History, and Beyond. Okay, so that covers pretty much everything. Eschatology in the Bible, because eschatology covers those things, those the, big those things. big things. And Advent is a big part of that eschatology. It absolutely right? is. So explain that to our listeners, how that word eschatology fits into what we do during Advent. So when we think about Advent, most of us immediately think about waiting on Jesus, arrival of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what we do during Advent is we put ourselves every year, we imagine as if we didn't really know. Oh, yes. Like we're we're waiting, and we know the stories of Israel, we're living that faith, and we are looking forward. We have hope. We're waiting, and we put ourselves in that place ritually, mm-hmm. liturgically, like in how we worship, how we sing, and imaginatively. So hope is the essence of eschatology. What do we ultimately hope for. Right. And those eschatological texts there, I think I... Easy I, to I say. Work, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, rooted in the Old Testament 
And how do they show up? I mean, what's a good way to describe how they show up here in the New Testament? So these, these, uh, these prophecies that we read in week one and week two and and the and the Old Testament, uh, you know, what's the eschatolo- eschatological language of like? Oh, and here they are. Yeah. So each gospel has its own way. Yeah. Of bringing Jesus into the story, right? And right. I don't think anybody wants the mini lecture of how each one relates to the Old Testament text. Mm-hmm. But we might say Matthew goes big by directly quoting. Such and such happened in order to fill the words of the prophet saying. Yes. Right? Matthew will stop and make that move. But each of the four Gospels has its own way of, of echoing. And it's their way of saying that the arrival of Jesus is completely in line with what God has al- always been doing in Israel. Mm-hmm. So most New Testament scholars and Old Testament or Hebrew Bible scholars wouldn't say that the prophets are predicting Jesus in the way that somebody in Las Vegas is predicting a football game, but they would say that the early Christians were so deeply into the scriptures of Israel that they told the story of Jesus through those scriptures. Yeah. I also remember my New Testament professor talking about Matthew as filling things up. That was that was actually Greg, by the way, my New Testament. <laughs> but how Matthew was talking about things being perfected, telos, filled up. And uh, we we hear that in Matthew and in that that there was a fullness of time yep. in the birth of Jesus and that and the Christ event. Um and yet still at uh, Advent, like you said we imagine that it pretend like it hasn't happened but we still have this hope of a second coming that is uh, and there's that word again hope that uh, that's part of that eschatology as well right absolutely so when easter is different mm-hmm. right we go through lent and we remind ourselves of our sinfulness and our mortality we take on the ashes we do all of that as if jesus had not been raised from the dead, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's that ritual sense of we're reenacting, pretending, putting ourselves in that place because we all know we're headed toward Easter. Yeah. But we we need to find a way to connect with that reality. The depth of what Easter means, the depth of what Christmas means, depends on being in that in that place of waiting and hoping, and wondering. Right. So the two seasons are related, but they're different in that Advent is this fulfillment that happens in the arrival of Jesus, the way his life will play out. And and yes, his death and resurrection. Easter and Lent are more focused on the resurrection of Jesus Hmm. and what that what that means in a very in a very specific way. Hmm. So it is it's a it really is a liturgical practice of hope. I think so. I mean, yeah. You and I didn't grow up in churches that do this. No, tell us. Advent, we'll come back right? to that hope thing in a second, but tell us the story. What's your experience growing up with Advent? What's your history with Advent? I didn't grow up in church. Mm-hmm. And so I was a high school convert. I met Jesus when I was 14. 
right, before my sophomore year of high school. And it was a Southern Baptist church. So we were singing Christmas carols in December. We weren't singing Advent hymns (laughs) at all. Um, I can't tell you when I first heard the word Advent, but what I can tell you is I'm sure I didn't know what it meant. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and and uh, was it as a young adult? Was it uh, you were already? I really you, am you, not I mean, sure. When, when when what's your memory of like? Oh, this is a, something that's happening in the church that I've never seen before. I can place it. Okay. Um, I would have been um, about thirty. Wow, living in Memphis, and we joined a congregational church, which is part of the United Church of Christ, yep. and they did Advent, and. So I'd heard the term. I'm sure I had some context for it by then, but I had no idea how it worked. I didn't know it would work the same way the next year, right? Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. That we go through this cycle of readings. <laughs> One year it's Mark, and yeah. Yeah. So um, that would have been when I first experienced it and would have started processing. Even when I came to teach at Lancaster Seminary in 1999, I would have pastoral groups ask me to come and talk about how do we preach the Advent text? <laughs> and that was the first time I had to really like study up what is this all about? How does it work? Why are they asking? Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. I can really relate to that. I mean, uh, in, that, in that Baptist church setting, it's interesting to hear you say, I didn't know it was going to happen again next year, because there was sort of a continual, I won't call it chaos, but it would like, because it was always rooted in scripture, but a continual like, oh, I wonder what's going to, wonder what book of the Bible we're going to look at next. And kind of all the time. In fact, I was at a church <clears throat> one Easter where they didn't even talk about the resurrection. Easter oh Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's just, that, that's, now that's very, sounds kind of strange to me because I think we've gotten used to the rhythm of the liturgical calendar year and and what we what we practice in that. I don't know if it helps your 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 particular listeners or not, but you know, one of it's a big difference between churches where pastors sort of decide either well in advance or week to week. Right? <laughs> what the scripture's going to be, what's going on in worship, yeah. are we doing themes now or a biblical book? And what we call liturgical churches that use this lectionary, the schedule of readings, mm-hmm. that every three years we cycle through and sample most of the Bible yep. and have these seasons. But that is a very different experience. And if you're a pastor, it's a hugely different experience. Yeah, yeah it really is. I, I enjoy using the lectionary. I know our music directors and mm-hmm. at churches enjoy when we use the lectionary. It helps them plan way, yeah. way far ahead. Um, you know, can you take a second? I we we throw that word lectionary around a lot, and I remember when I was uh, studying uh, scriptures with you, uh, was the first time I realized that the lectionary isn't a new thing. Mm-mm. Uh, tell us, give us a little history on how far back that goes, if as much as you can. Well, you've got me at a real disadvantage, but (laughs) (laughs) what what I can say from knowing New Testament stuff is that we have copies of early medieval lectionaries. Early medieval lectionaries. And we know that synagogues have long, I mean, ancient, Mm. uh, when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, that's the reading for that day. Yeah, yeah. So this... 
this history of telling the story again and again and again has has ancient roots, sort of like what we discover in Passover. I mean, that would be the one of the things that people would probably be familiar with, that that happened every year kind of thing. One way to put it is there are a lot of people for whom ritual is a negative word. If they mm-hmm. say ritual, they kind of need to spit right after they say it. <laughs> and I've come to appreciate that there are many rituals in our ordinary lives that remind us, like, what time is it in my life or what's really important? So if I say goodbye to one of my daughters and I don't say I love you and hear it back, I feel a loss in that. I don't wonder whether they love me and they don't wonder whether I love them, but I need, I need that ritual. Wow. What a, what a beautiful way to uh, connect that that pattern for us. That's a great way. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing that, Greg. Let's get back to that that word hope again, because we've you know we've kind of gone all over the place. We've talked about how hope <clears throat> is is they're rooted in the past and points to the future. A definition that we use or that I've sort of introduced here um, is that hope is the assurance of a good future. Um, as you hear that definition and thinking about what we do in Advent, um, where, where does your mind go as you think about how Advent is a, a ritual of hope? Or a, uh, Yeah, tell us about that. Like, where do we get that assurance of a good future? Sure, yeah. And my own view is, the way, the way I would couch it is to contrast hope with optimism. Oh, yeah. So I'm naturally an optimist. I mean, it's my nature. Mm-hmm which means that if my baseball team is down by seven runs in the eighth inning, there's this part of me that's not going to get up and go to bed over it. (laughs) I just think it's going to get better, you know. (laughs) Um, And optimism is kind of a character trait, and it can get you through some things. It can also lead to crushing disappointment and disillusionment, right? Because it's just, we say, empty optimism. Mm. Um, my wife, who's a business attorney, and I have permission to say this, um, <laughs> likes to say, hope is not a strategy. Oh. And my response is, no, it is, because I think when she says hope, she means optimism. Oh, yeah. But hope is God's strategy. Yes. Wow. And the, the difference between hope and optimism is that hope has grounding and reasons. It's not just our nature to be hopeful. We have reasons to be hopeful. So when you're reading the Gospels, and especially Luke and Matthew, imagine that there are these faithful Jews waiting on something else, and that something else is new, but it's not totally new, because this is the same God who created the world and called Abram and Sarai, right? Abraham and Sarah. Yeah and delivered Israel from enslavement in Egypt and worked with the kingdom and spoke through the prophets. And so all that hope that, you know, we talk about comes to this fulfillment, this filling up mm-hmm. in Jesus has, it's already, there are reasons for this yes. in, in your story. And you tell the story, you, re, you read it aloud, you recite it, the, that's that's hope. 
And for Christians, you know, it, it's ironic at Advent, but our hope is also grounded in who was Jesus? What did he do? Well, he healed people. He delivered people. He built community. He had meals. He fed people. He welcomed sinners. He didn't ever scold them. He, you know, he, he, and he lived faithfully all the way through the cross. And God raised him from the dead, and we have experience of the living Jesus in our midst. Um, for some of us, that's something warm in our hearts that we experience. That's true for me. Yeah. Um, but I know faithful Christians who don't have that experience. They experience it in the life of the church, in oh, the ways that God works when sure. we're together. But we're not coming from nowhere with this hope business. Mm-hmm. And so I like to say, to sort of wind that up, Hope doesn't just look forward, it looks backward. Yeah. Because that's that's its source. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that assurance, if we're going with that definition that I've used, that's where that assurance can come from, that we've seen the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And, uh, and, and as we look at the way the story plays out at Christmas, we see how those who hoped saw the fullness of the Christ moment in Jesus. And just as you laid out, the life of Christ then takes us to the next hope mm-hmm. that we can have assurance in there. Did I get that right? I, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it is a story shape. And it's not thing. optimism. I, I love how you made that di- that distinction. We're not just uh, optimists about, you know, if your baseball team's down, there's not really assurance other than the fact that you've liked this team for a long time and you have some swag, um, that's not what we're experiencing as followers of Jesus Christ, is it? It's different. Very different. One analogy I I like to use is, you know, when you fall in love, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And But if you make the decision to covenant together, build a marriage and a household, that's a different thing. Yeah. And it requires the kind of hope I'm talking about, that um, it's one thing to just fall in love and do it, and good luck, but it's another thing to you know, know this person, to have seen them deal with conflict and stress and disappointment, because you're trusting them with your life, Yeah, right? And so you don't know in the sense that you know what happened yesterday— but you you use the word assurance like, yeah, I, I've seen enough. I believe this. Mm-hmm. I, I can trust this person. Well, when we talk about hope in the context of God. Yeah. And I, and I love how you've set us up in, the, in that thinking and that definition to also realize that the Jews who were paying attention to the prophecies of the Old Testament— um, in our telling of the story, get something so much more than what they had been looking for, which is also our hope in the second coming of Christ, that the ju- that the kingdom of justice and joy that we are hoping for and living into will catch us in the same way. God is always more huh. than what we imagine. And if we cling to the ways that we imagine it, 
we're selling it short. God's grace is always bigger and more than we imagine. God's love, always that. So when I think about where is the world headed or where am I headed? I'm 58. I get to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't tie specific images to that at all because I, I just, God does more than we think. And I do think it's fair. Every New Testament scholar is obliged to say, <laughs> right? If you don't say it, you have to turn in your card or whatever. But um, we don't, a lot of Christians imagine that we know what ancient Jews were thinking and hoping. Sure. And the truth is, we really don't. It, Judaism was so diverse yeah. in the first century, yeah. just like Christianity can be incredibly diverse. Yeah. But what we do know is that at the time of Jesus' arrival, um, there was no king of Israel who lived in Israel and was an Israelite, right? There was the Caesar in Rome, mm-hmm. and um, Rome used violence and exploitation. And so we know this. There's a lot of literature, Jewish literature, showing frustration and hope from that period. Wow. Yeah, that that tells the story right there. Yeah. Wow, Andy, we got to take a breath. We do. This is uh this is great. Greg, thanks for uh, in fact, um I'm taking notes cuz um some of that's great preaching material mm. right there. So if if any preachers listen, there's a little appendix to the book on preaching advent. There's an appendix. Yeah. And what's in that appendix? Uh, a little a thousand little. words of suggestions on preaching that. <laughs> <laughs> it was the golden nugget. There you, there you go. There it is. There you go. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> as we take a breath and we take a moment to step back, as we always do on Walk with the Wise, we get to ask our guests uh, some questions. Uh, and this, in our four-part season, we are talking about this time of year and things that we do rituals that we have. So our first question is Christmas cookie. Is there a Christmas cookie that you, that's the one you always want every single year? Do I have to change from chocolate chip? No, you don't. Just because it's Christmas? No. Okay. You are not the first person to say this, actually. Yeah, that's that's that exactly is, true. That's been a theme. I mean, I'll <laughs> do gingerbread just because and yeah. dip it in my coffee, but... But you're sticking with yeah. a classic chocolate chip that's good um now this is uh this is a new question and mine hasn't changed from last week uh, yeah, yeah. Dan's so I, <laughs> what was it <laughs> well my my see I, what i've I, what i've had to say is i get so many delicious cookies from mm. people from the church if i pick one i'm sure that there will be people that but i'll tell you what and chris's cranberry cake that she makes christmas mm. morning Holy smokes. Stay close to home. It's always a good answer. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that truly is. And I love how we went from like deep eschatology to Christmas cookies. Yeah. Yeah, Surely the assurance of a a good future. Like we said, there was rituals, ritual things that we do in every, every year, every season. You know, I want my mom's peanut butter blossom, you know, push the, Mm -hmm. push the Hershey kiss down into the, that's the the perfect balance for me. That is, I vividly remember rolling the little ball of sh- in the sugar and then putting it down. I, that's things I remember. Um, all right, next one. 
Are you an early shopper or like a last minute shopper when it comes to the season? This is a new question. So. I'm doing well this year, but I'm, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, but being a professor, everything Christmas comes late because the academic load peaks up right before. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard to be in my family. Yeah. I'm always behind on Christmas. Not this year. Not this year. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Dan, so I did probably vote for Epiphany. Like, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I, you know, we all, I think, look at the way that the story keeps getting pushed back to Halloween, you know, and wouldn't it be nice if it all if it goes the other way? Went the other way. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how the oldest churches do it, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. The Eastern We're, churches, that yeah. January 6th is Christmas it, Day. To so. me, yeah. To meet the, uh, the Epiphany and the, the, yeah. Right, the coming of the wise men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although I think the momentum is not in our favor, Greg. No, so. no, no. <laughs> Dan, are you are you an early shopper or a late shopper? Um, I, I think I'm both. It depends on the year and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. So, and again, this year I'm doing better. But uh, yeah. Well, also sometimes Black Friday and Cyber Monday are now like three week events. I, I so it's say like, that, <laughs> you know, one time in uh, I, I worked at a jewelry store during <laughs> the holidays and I loved those last minute guys. I mean, because I could oh. make a lot of commission on December 23rd and 24th from the guy that showed up. Just looking that, for that necklace yeah, that you were like, pointing them the right I way. Got yeah. a deal for They're you. not bargaining. No, no, no. They're looking no. to get like walk in and get out. Is there with anything something left? Yeah. Well, there is this twenty five thousand dollar ring. <laughs> I only have one, but I think it has your wife's name on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And our last question uh, before we get back to our conversation here is the other ritualistic thing is Christmas movie. So it's not a movie, but animated Grinch, the original. The original animated the, Grinch. Max oh. the dog. Oh, my gosh. True. Yeah. Max the dog is Christmas right there. Yep. Yeah, I do. We In my family, we love the Grinch story. All, almost all versions of them. Uh, we I, I said this before. The newest animated version, uh, which uh, Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. is the voice of the Grinch, is a wonderful kind of updated version of that classic it has enough of the classic imagery that kind of match what the original was i like we like the way the story went with that dan what was yours again story. oh the, the the uh charlie brown christmas charlie brown christmas oh yeah, yeah, yeah another one. The, the tree and woodstock snoopy skating on the uh, like all that and and the music the is mu- just, yeah. you know i get weepy when linus recites the story from Luke. i know i know it's not like how do we re i mean there's nothing that, yeah, that is uh, that that is uh, that's Christmas right there. Yeah, yeah. All right, Greg. Thank you for those great answers, Dan. Can we get back to it? Let's uh, see what yeah, else. Yeah, sure. Got. Uh, so you know, if some of our listeners haven't picked up yet, um, Greg's uh, from Greg's um, accent. Uh, Greg's not Greg. You're not from around here at all. At all. <laughs> Northwest Alabama. Northwest Alabama. So uh, and. You, uh, how long has it been since you lived down? You still have family down there? I do. I mean, I've never lived there since I left, you know, like college, but I've been in Lancaster 25 years. 25. Okay. So I think you're getting close to being a Lancastrian. You know, I'm in the same category. I don't know if I'm quite yet a Lancastrian, but getting there. So if Jesus was born in, 
in uh, Alabama, in uh, Florence, you said, you told us earlier, Alabama. Where, where, where do you think uh, that uh, he would be born? That is such a difficult question. It's not because I don't know places in Florence. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be clever. He would have been born in a house that would have welcomed him in. Okay. So there's a a scholar named Stephen Carlson who teaches at Australian Catholic University who has pretty much proven that the notion that Jesus was sort of born in a barn setting yeah, right. um, is not what the story's saying in Luke, that yeah. he um, he would have been born in a part of the house that animals would have come into at night. So someone welcomed him into their house, and they had open spaces in the house, um, I would say he he would have been born into a house that would have welcomed him. Okay, well that's that, that was an easy answer. It's it, not it, specific. It's, yeah, it's, there's no right. address. I thought you would it's said not like romantic. the Walmart parking lot or the. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have Walmart. He didn't back even then. have Walmart. I mean, they have it now. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He been yeah. Well, yeah, because I've been into the shepherd's field in uh, in Israel. Uh, mm. Where, where uh, there's grottos all around there, and every church says, "Oh no, this one. Oh no, no, yes. it was over here." So you're you're suggesting it was, uh, or, or this scholar is suggesting uh, there there would have been a house that would have said, "Yeah, come on in." And he's convinced just about everybody who's read his article. Yeah, well, that is uh, that's a terrific uh, that's a terrific insight. It changes my. Uh, nativity scene, doesn't it? Well, I mean, one thing it changes is the idea that no hospitality was really extended. Right, that there that was you're out no in the room cold. in the inn. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Very, very good. Very good. What's special to you about this Advent season? Oh, wow. I will admit that I get frustrated waiting to sing the Christmas songs. Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I admit it. I get it. I submit to it. But, um, but that, that's part of the truth. Um, I do have a different experience of Advent than, than Lent because during Advent, I'm thinking hopeful things. And during Lent, I'm more in touch with my finiteness and personal corruption. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, I enjoy that. I, I will add one thing about the, the idea of hope in Advent. Mm-hmm. You know, I said that, that hope is grounded in the past. I, I would also say hope is grounded in frustration. Say more about that. Right. I mean, that the hope is that things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're imagining Judeans wanting things to be different. And you have to be ready for something different, longing for different to have hope, right? Yeah. So um, I actually enjoy the frustration. Wow. Getting in touch with the things that I wish were otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now at this moment in our society, almost everybody's frustrated. Wow. You're right. Yes. Um, so, you know, what do you long for? What would be different? Right. That would really be fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, it does 
sort of connect us as humans. There's a common humanity in that. Last week we were uh, exploring the idea with uh, Casey Barden about how the haves can have a different perspective on hope than the haves-nots, that uh, the haves might extrapolate their good life into the future and say, let's just kind of keep things the way they are, where the have-nots would say, no, we need something new. And I love how and what you've introduced here in that that thought about the frustration as it gives us a, a, the opportunity as Christians to realize how we as humans are rooted all together in a hope for a new future, no matter who we are. And if, if we happen to have things, if we happen to have good life, um, it does remind us of a bigger hope that goes way beyond, like you said a moment ago, about whatever we are thinking of or hoping for, it's going to be bigger. God's got this bigger for us, and, uh, and it puts us there. It gives us a chance to ask some really big questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's important for our faith to be a source of assurance and stability. There are times in our lives when we just profoundly need that. And if it's Jesus-shaped faith, it calls us beyond ourselves into the world. It calls us into desiring the world that Jesus was building. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same as the one we experience moment to moment. No. So um, that that sense of frustration for me, I, I know this sounds strange, I enjoy it mm-hmm. during Advent because I can get in touch with it and yeah. feel called beyond myself. Yeah, unless we're li- living some sort of isolation story yeah, where it's just us. You know, and Advent pulls us out of that story into a love story with others that helps us to lift up our eyes and go, oh... This is about all of us. You're taking me somewhere else. It also means that it's not, it can't be wanting things the way they were. Hmm. Because right. whatever whatever they were isn't God's future either. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, that's not to trash the past. It's not to glorify the present moment. It's just to acknowledge that whatever we know. Hmm. That's That's great. Greg, it's been great having you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you come back again? I would. I've, oh, had, I've had a ball, and I'm honored. Thank yes. you. We know no one can answer that with no. Uh, that's yeah, why we, I, uh, we haven't yet. We haven't we may, yet. There may be anybody. Because you're so no. charming. Yeah. 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 That's right. Well, well, we'll find... We have plenty of other things that we could have conversations with Greg about, I know. You certainly do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but thank you for joining us. I hope that you join us for our final episode of this four-part mini-season of Advent. Uh, We've got one more, and then we'll be uh, coming back with season two of Walk with the Wise along with First Presbyterian Church of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, come the new year. So make sure you are subscribing, that you are sharing, and as always, thanks for joining us.